So today we are going to look at the defining moment of faith for Jesus. Now, Jesus' defining moment is the resurrection. Okay, I'll just spoil that for you. Uh, That is for sure it. But there is a moment before that that I really believe is Jesus' defining moment of faith. So much so, he prays a prayer that is the most transformative, life-changing prayer of faith that any of us could pray. It is a prayer that will get you to and get you through whatever you're going through. It is the prayer that got him to and through the suffering and pain of the cross. And it's just four words. See, I know from teaching around here for a while, I know from leading small groups and having lots of conversations with lots of different people, I know that prayer can still be intimidating for some of you. As much as we teach on it, as much as we say all you need to do is just talk to God like you're talking to anyone else, as much as we say any of that, some of you are still intimidated by it. But I want you to know that prayer is just this prayer, this most powerful prayer of faith is just four words. So here we are on Palm Sunday. I want to fast forward the story a little bit. I hope in your groups this week, maybe you'll take some time and read different parts of this Passion Week. But I want to fast forward, if I could, to Thursday night. On Thursday night of the Passion Week, Jesus is taking Passover with his disciples. He has sent a couple of his disciples ahead and to the upper part of the city of Jerusalem. He has said, would you go find us a room? They have found a room. And so they have shared Passover, just like the children of Israel have taken from the time of the Exodus. And then he helps them to understand that the Passover has been about him all along. And then he changes it and gives us what we now know as communion or the Lord's table or Eucharist or whatever that you were raised up with, he changes it on that night. And then Jesus and the disciples go for a walk. Now, the last time I was in Israel, I took a moment to go on this walk. It took me about 45 minutes to an hour to go out of the Jewish quarter down the outside of the city and to go down a hill. I told you just a moment ago that Jerusalem is on a hill. So whenever you see Jerusalem in the scriptures, you're always walking up to Jerusalem. Well, now Jesus is walking down away from Jerusalem across the ravine or the valley called Kidron and he walks back up the Mount of Olives with his disciples. Now Judas has already left. Judas left in the middle of Passover, if you remember. He has gone, that plan of betrayal is already in motion. And so Jesus is now with his disciples. They have opened up the Psalms together. They've opened up God's word together. They're singing and worshiping together. The Mount of Olives, this incredible place, this beautiful hill that overlooks the city from the eastern side, looks right towards that eastern gate where Jesus is gonna descend onto the Mount of Olives one day and then walk right back into that gate one glorious day that we're all looking forward to. He's in this sacred place and then he begins to walk back down the Mount of Olives and then he stops in a place that the gospel writers say is another very familiar place to him. We know it as the Garden of Gethsemane. It says this, Mark chapter 14 says, they went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here, while I pray. Now I know that you've heard the story perhaps before, most of you have heard the story before, you know what happens with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, but just to help you maybe visualize it for just a moment, I took some high quality pictures on my iPhone myself, so I wanted you to to see this. It's a beautiful place, it's a walled garden, today it's a rose garden with these olive trees in the middle of it, 
and there would have been olive trees there at the time of Jesus. They could have looked very similar to this. This would not be the same trees, but these trees can get to be a, a thousand years old or more. They, they are amazing, magnificent. This is, this is Jesus's place. The Bible says this is a place he came to often. It's a place that he brought the disciples to often. It's how Judas knew where to bring people later that night. It's this place where he goes whenever he's in Jerusalem to be refreshed, to restore, and to spend time with God. Do you have a place like this? I hope that you do. Maybe it's a particular seat at the dining room table or the breakfast table. Maybe it's a place on your patio or on your porch or wherever it might be, some time where you go and you spend time connecting with God. And presumably, Judas is gone. They walk into this garden and Jesus has eight of his disciples and he invites eight of them to stay where they are. And then he's gonna take three a little bit further into this place called Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane means crushing or pressing. A Gethsemane literally is a large stone wheel with a hole in the middle of it that you would put a a large stick or limb into the hole attached to something on the other side, and you would push it around in a circle. This was the process of pulling the oil out of the olives. So a Gethsemane literally means crushing olives. It also means pressing. Oil in the scriptures often symbolizes God's spirit. Sometimes it symbolizes blessing and anointing. But what a picture this is here. Every single one of us would say, we want the anointing of God. But to get the anointing of God, you have to get, go through the crushing sometimes. Oftentimes, we want, we want one without the other, but to get to a place of anointing, there has to be a place of pressing. Mark chapter 14 continues and it says, Jesus took Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. So he's left eight in one part of the garden He's brought these three to this part and he has said to stay here. They have never seen him like this. And reading through all the different gospel accounts, rather than taking us verse to verse to verse today, I'm just trying to bring it all together for us. And I just want you to know, they have never, ever seen him like this. They've seen him heal the lame. They've seen him bring blind their sight. They've seen him feed thousands. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him do amazing things. They've seen him laugh. They've seen him welcome children. They've seen him hungry. They've seen him cry. But they have never, ever seen him like this. I don't know how he communicated it. I don't know what his expression or his countenance was but there can be no doubt that Jesus is in a place of crushing and then in verse 36 of Mark chapter 14 Jesus prays this prayer that many of you are familiar with but I want us to look at it closely today if we can verse 36 and he says 
Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So he leaves Peter, James, and John, and he goes a little bit further. One of the gospel writers says he goes about a stone's throw away. And in this place that they have never seen him like this before, he begins to pray, and he prays, Abba, Father, we have dealt with these words before. This is a term that in Aramaic, it's just the most gentle and nice and kind and loving name that you can give to your father. Most of us don't walk into a room and say, Father, we just don't do that. Rather, you have some type of endearing name. Maybe you call him Pop or Pops or maybe it's Daddy or just Dad. This is Jesus, the Son of God on his knees, talking to his dad, pleading with his dad. The scriptures say he is sweating drops of blood. They've never seen him like this before. His body is actually going through something. It's a physical condition that happens when you're under severe stress. Now, I've been under stress before, but I've never sweat drops of blood. I've been under stress before and had seemingly things happen that, that I, I couldn't explain. I like, wonder what's going on. I need, to, I need to calm it down. I need to get myself back together. But Jesus is now, he has a physical condition going on, causing him to sweat drops of blood. This same condition would make his skin more sensitive. So his skin would be more sensitive in a few hours when he is beaten by a Roman cat of nine tails. His skin would be more sensitive when they pound the crown of thorns into his head. His skin would be more sensitive when they put the nails through his hands and through his feet. And here is Jesus with the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he says, Dad, all things are possible for you. There's a pattern of prayer throughout the scriptures that seems to be acceptable when you are at your most desperate. It's you call on God, you remind him of who he is, and then you remind him of what he can do and you make your request known. Dad, all things are possible for you. Take this away from me. I don't want this. There has got to be another way. The writer of Hebrews says that he was tempted and tried in every way that you and I would be. And I would guess that every single one of us would have a moment where you might refer to as your Gethsemane. Every single one of us have had crushing, pressing circumstances where we feel the, the weight of the world are honest. Every single one of us have had things we would, we would say, God, I wish that you would just take this away. Dad, would you please, please, all things are possible for you. Dad, would you heal the cancer? God, would you take cancer away from that person that I love? Take it away from my spouse. Take it away from my child. I know that you can heal them. Heal the kidney, heal the liver, heal the pancreas, heal the heart, clear the artery, remove the condition. I know you can do it. Crushed under a financial burden. Dad, I need help paying the bills. You own a cattle on a thousand hills. I know you've got it. Would you please help? Crushed under relationships, dad. She walked out on me, dad. He's walked out on me. 
I don't know what to do. Dad, depression is crushing me. Anxiety is crushing me. It's crushing my kids. Addiction is going to kill them. Dad, I know you can work it out. I know you can intervene. I know you can fix them. You can bring them back home. Dad, all things are possible for you. Would you take this away? And then the most powerful prayer of faith that can ever be spoken the most powerful, the prayer that would get him to and through the cross and the prayer that can get you to and through anything you may be facing. Mark 14, 36. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. The most powerful prayer of faith you can ever speak. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. You see, most of the time when we pray, we are really good at giving God the plan. God healing is the plan, right? Restoration is the plan. Provision is the plan. Right on time, right when I say, tomorrow will be fine, right now would be better. That's the plan. And how many people have walked away from faith by giving God their plan and not waiting for his plan. Not waiting for him to allow it to work out for our good and for his glory. Did you ever have a moment where you tried to tell your earthly dad what the plan was and he didn't say anything, but you just knew that's not the plan? (laughs) I don't know what the plan is, but I can tell you from the look on my dad's face, what I just said is not the plan. Dad, not what I will, but what you will. But this is not about asking dad for ice cream on the way home. This is about asking him to do the thing that you can't do, to handle the thing you don't want to go through and to truly remove it is what the son is asking for. And then he adds, a prayer of faith A prayer of surrender, yet not what I will, but what you will. Hands off, surrendered prayer. Surrender to God. This is why for many of you that raise your hands in worship, this is what you're saying, and you know it's what you're saying. You are surrendered to God. I'm giving him complete control. I have given him the plan. It doesn't appear to be the plan. I am trusting the plan. I do not know because I am trusting in God. It's not just giving up control. The word surrender also means to cease resistance, to stop fighting him, to stop pushing your way, to stop trying to make what you want to happen even though he doesn't seem to be making it happen, to trust that he's got something better in store for you. So what can give us the confidence to pray this prayer of faith? Well, look at the father's response from the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22, verse 43, it says, there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Now, if every time I prayed a desperate prayer that happened, I would probably be good. That would be fine. In fact, Psalm 90 tells us that God has given his angels charge over us, but this is a unique moment in history. 
This is a unique moment in all of history. And I don't think we can take literally that we are going to see angels the way that Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. But what I will tell you that we can take away from this is that God has promised us his presence. What can give you the faith to pray a prayer of surrender, to pray a prayer of not my will, but your will? What can give you that that kind of confidence in God? It's understanding that no matter what, he is going to go with you. How are you going to get to and through it? You are going to get to and through because God is gonna be with you every step of the way. He's promised his presence. Psalm chapter 46, verse one says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Some of you know exactly what it feels like to feel like the earth is giving way out from under you, to have the rug pulled out from under you. What can I count on in that moment? How can I have the confidence to keep moving forward? You can be confident that God is with you to be your ever-present help in a time of trouble. Right when you need it, he will provide it. And if he hasn't provided it yet, then you don't need it yet. Psalm chapter 62 says, on God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Psalm 23 verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We can have confidence to pray this transforming prayer of faith that can carry us to and through any circumstance because you have been promised his presence. What else can give you that kind of confidence today? Well, Jesus knew who he was talking to. You need to be reminded today of who you are talking to. John chapter 17, verse three, Jesus is praying to the father there before they go into the garden. It says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that we know God, you know, we are here today proclaiming that every single one of us can know God, can know him personally, that he knows the hairs on your head. And you need to be reminded today, let us all be reminded of who we're talking to. He's the ever-present help in a time of trouble because he is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is unchanging. He is trustworthy. He is good. He is sovereign. This is your God. He is holy. That is to say he is set apart. Unlike anything else, 1 Samuel chapter 2 says, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. He is faithful even when we are not. Psalm chapter 33 verse four says, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He is full of grace and mercy and truth. Even when we don't understand his ways, we can trust him. Psalm 25 verse 10 says, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. We know who he is. He's unchanging. He's the same God that parts the sea, that kills giants that delivers from lions. He heals, he rescues, he restores, but there's something else we can count on. There's something else that should give us more confidence than any other single one of his attributes. And that's just the very fact that he is love. He doesn't have to demonstrate it the way that we do. He, 
It's just who he is. Lamentations chapter three, verse 22 says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. How is it possible that his love never ceases? It's because it's who he is. John tells us this in his letter. First John chapter four, verse eight says, anyone who does not love does not know God because three precious words, God is love. And this, the love of God is made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. I mean, we have to show it. We have to demonstrate it. And God does demonstrate his love towards us even while we're yet sinners. He's in his son to die for us, but it's just who he is. It never stops. It never ends. That means no matter what your circumstances are, no matter how crushed, no matter how pressed you are today, he's love. And he's got you. When you're going through extreme loss and pain and hardship and suffering, he is completely present and he will be all you ever need. And he will love you through every step of the way, even when you are unlovable, by the way. He can't help it. It's who he is. And in order to have that confidence, to know who he is, You've got to take that time to build that relationship. If you believe, not just in your head, but if you will practice and obey and internalize that he is an almighty, all-powerful, sovereign, yet personal God who wants to get to know you, if you will spend time with him, that time will give you the energy and the strength and the capacity with his help to face whatever comes your way. You see, you build up the capacity to go to and through your Gethsemane moments before you get there. The disciples were often commenting, the gospel writers just, it was like they couldn't believe it, just how many times Jesus would go away, God the Son would go away to spend time with his father because he knew the promises of a personal God. Psalm chapter 91, verse 15 says, when he calls to me, I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll rescue and honor him. Isaiah 43, don't be afraid. That's for somebody today. I've redeemed you. I've called your name. You're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Why? Because I am God, your personal God. In order to face your most crushing of circumstances, you've got to know him. Not just have trusted him for salvation for one day in the future. But to know that he's got you today, that he wants to spend time with you today, that he loves you today. They had never seen him like this before. It's this amazing truth about Jesus that we can barely wrap our minds around. He is 100% deity wrapped in humanity. 
and he is 100% humanity wrapped in deity. He is 100% God, and he is 100% man. And we are seeing the man side right now, and he is struggling. He's pleading with his father. And he's asking that this would be removed. There's got to be another way. He goes and he prays. And he gets up off his knees and he comes back to Peter, James, and John. And they're sleeping. And people give them a hard time for sleeping. I do not. One of the gospel writers said they are sleeping out of grief. They don't really know what's coming, but they know it's coming. You ever been there? There are some things that keep you up at night and there are some things that make you draw the curtains and say, I'm not leaving this place. And that's what these guys are feeling. But Jesus pokes them anyway and says, would you pray with me, guys? He goes back to his place a second time and he prays to the Father and the prayer changes it changes he goes back a third he goes back to the disciples and pokes them again he he goes back and prays a third time and we don't know what he said the third time but we know what he said the second time and the prayer changes Matthew 26 verse 42 says this again for the second time he went away and prayed my father If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Sometimes you get to that moment. You've begged and you've pleaded. You've reminded him of who he is. You've reminded him of what he can do. You've done it for days, for weeks, for months, for even years, but there comes a moment when the Spirit of God says, you are going to have to go to this and I'm going to get you through it. And the Son of God, the Savior of the world, in this moment, he understands there is no other way. So he says, for my people, for the ones that we love, for those who have followed me, for the ones who will follow me, I will drink this cup. Father, your will be done. Four words. Four words. The most transformative, courageous prayer of faith. Your will be done. It's not suicide. It's sacrifice. It's not resignation. It's surrender it's conviction it's assurance it's confidence it's trust it's the Savior's defining moment of faith I wonder how many times he prayed it over the next several hours you see in the stillness of night 
you can tell when something's coming. Now the Savior knew something was coming. But even in his humanity, you would be able to hear from afar 30, 40, 50 Roman soldiers, soldiers from the high priest coming on their way with the betrayer in front of them. They knew where to find him. I imagine Jesus on his knees sensing that they're coming. And I imagine him standing to his feet and seeing the torchlight in the distance. Here they come. And I can't help but believe that over the next several hours, his mind and his heart and his lips that when nothing else was recorded, that four words got him to and through the cross. Your will be done. I imagine the same look on his face that he had Palm Sunday. His face set as a rock. Courageous determined, willing to do whatever it takes for your salvation and mine. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he suffered and he died to pay the penalty for your sins and for mine. And Sunday's coming. Easter's coming. he'll get you to and through it just like he did his son would you bow your head with me child of God beloved son beloved daughter what are you facing today what do you wish wasn't there but maybe even in this moment, dad is just whispering to you, you're gonna have to go through this, but I'm gonna be with you every step of the way. Would you pray a courageous prayer of surrender right now in your seat if you need to? Your will be done. It wouldn't hurt to make this an everyday prayer. God, every day the plan is not my plan. God, I give you the calendar. I give you the conversations. I give you all that you've put in my hands. My talents, my gifts, my resources, I just say, your will be done. And the same power that took him through it and raised him from the dead is available to you today. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, 
You don't know what that power is about. You don't know how to take hold of life that's truly life. And I would invite you, please, before you leave today, on either side of this stage, we have some prayer team folks, team members. They would love to have the opportunity to lead you to Jesus today, to explain more of what it means to put your faith and trust in him, to move from death to life, to be called a son or daughter of God. God, today, thank you for reminding us of what the Savior went through for us and help us to be willing. Help us to be willing to surrender our lives, to walk by faith and to whatever you have for us. And we'll thank you for the resurrection that comes on the other side when we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.